I've seen nothing telling me the change being brought about by you know, technologies and, um, and other drivers. Nothing I've seen is saying to me, you know, don't worry, soon it'll slow down and it'll be like it was, you know, 30 years ago. So I think it's incumbent upon us, particularly as leaders of large systems, to accept that that's the case. Our guest today is Stephen Ganeel. Stephen is the CEO of the Victorian Curriculum and Assessment Authority. The VCAA and its partners in the Victorian education system are currently doing a major reform of senior school education. It's billed as one of the biggest changes since the introduction of the VCE. It follows the Firth Review, which was handed down in 2019. Stephen's going to talk to us not only about that reform, but also about the task of leading major, complex and multifaceted, even once in a generation reforms, and what leaders can learn about that process and how we set up our systems to adapt into the future. Stephen, thanks so much for being a part of this conversation. Great to be here, Tom. Thank you. Uh, we want to focus our conversation today on the large reform program that you're leading together with others in the education system, focused on senior secondary schooling. It's been described as the biggest change since the commencement of, of VCE. So can you tell us a bit about that reform for those of us who don't know a whole lot about senior school education since we went through it ourselves? Tell, tell us a bit about the reforms that you're pursuing. It is a once-in-a-generation opportunity and it's... Um Certainly something that I'm really excited about as both an educator, so my background as a teacher and um, school principal, but also, you know, education system leadership and, you know, how we how we change things in response to contextual changes. Um, we've all seen that through the last couple of years, definitely in a more exponential fashion, but technology changes, work changes, all kinds of things. So it's it's um, it's fantastic for me to be involved in such a huge shift in uh, education in Victoria where we're really changing fairly dramatically our senior secondary certificate. That doesn't happen often and the reason for that is that, you know, people need to know what they're doing, you know, when they're going through school and our not just the students but their parents and the broader community rely a lot on uh, what we do throughout the years of schooling um, and really importantly how we finish it, you know, what that looks like in those last couple of years of, of senior secondary. The Victorian Certificate of Education has been in place for a long, long, uh, long time. In fact, it's um, the single uh, higher school certificate you know, goes back to the, the 70s, VCE pilot in the late 80s and the introduction of VCE in 1991. So, you know, we've been running like this for three decades. To be someone that's been in education for, you know, a long period of time now, so 25 odd years, um, to have the opportunity to, to have a leadership role in this level of reform is, um, yeah, pretty unique and, and fantastic. Part of the backstory is about the divide between vocational education and training and, and other pathways through senior education. To, yeah, tell us a bit about that divide and, and, and how that's created problems. Yeah, look, it's an interesting one, Tom, because, you know, that single certificate came in really early on. And what they found, though, was that that worked for a whole heap of kids. You know, it was really a great thing. But there were some students who was, were missing out, you know, it wasn't working for everyone. Uh, and so VCAL or, you know, the vocational certificate, the uh, Victorian Certificate of Applied Learning as um, the acronym stands for, sort of came from that need. So this need to engage, you know, all students, not just those that um, saw themselves on, you know, purely university type pathway. And of course, you know, many years ago, that was the preference. The pathway of through university was the thing that everyone talked about. Certainly through my schooling, you know, that was the thing that people were sort of aiming for is through to university. 
And so there was this divide, you know, so we had the VCE, the Certificate of Education, and then we had the Certificate of Applied Learning that was created. So we had these two streams and that worked, you know, really well in, in some instances, but it didn't get the whole way, I guess, if we put it that way. And it created this, this divide between what people saw as an academic pathway through the VCE and a, an applied learning pathway through, through VCAL and created what's in the first review, which is you know, this false dichotomy. You know, it, it's not that you only do academic and never apply it. I mean, I, I don't know what job that is, but it sounds um, interesting. Um, and I don't know any sort of applied sort of work where you don't have to have some academic knowledge and some thinking that's that behind that. And you think of all the trades and um, I certainly hope my electrician has some academic qualifications uh, before they start playing with the electricity around my house. Um, and that goes for all of those applied learning, traditional apprenticeship sort of pathways and, um, and those indeed into work um, direct from school. So, you know, there was this false dichotomy. There was this sense of a second tier for VCAL when the reality is that no, that does not apply. Whether it ever applied is probably a question, but it certainly doesn't apply now. You think of what the work environment looks like now. We need those people with those uh, skills that we may term applied learning, but actually are really, you know, highly academic, knowledge-based, skill-based um, areas that contribute to our economy, uh, along with those professional services that might go through a more traditional university pathway. You mentioned too the length of time that's passed between the creation of the VC. I mean, just the changes in the economy and what sort of drives our success over that period is is enormous, and that it seems to hit right at that point that you're describing people needing people with both excellent applied skills and academic knowledge those two things going hand in hand is how we is how we innovate isn't it it's how we create new ways of doing things that that drive our economy forward it, it, yeah now it's clearly not a time for that stark dichotomy between two different types of learning it's really important that education has an outward view you know that we're not just sort of insular about but this is the way we like to teach or we like you know students to learn what we have to actually do is be preparing them for their future you know so that's the now and the future and the context that our students are now leaving in is vastly different to, you know, 1987 or, or 20 years ago when, when VCAR was um, first put in place as well. So, you know, the world is uh, changing so quickly. And I think that's something as part of this and a part of any other reforms we've got to think about is the kind of set and forget after a big reform is not really a way I think that we can continue in the future. I don't see that we'll do, you know, this work uh, you know, over the next couple of years and then think, oh, thank goodness we've done all that, wipe the brow, you know, sweat away, uh, think it's another 30 years before we need to do that again. I think we've actually got to set these things up so that they can be um, more agile, you know, the word of 2021, I think it was, so that they can respond more quickly uh, to changes in the in the economy, in research, innovation, uh, what we need to provide in terms of a, of a workforce as well as what... Um, you know, what social skills and other things we want all of our children to have as they come through to participate in, in broader society. So it's, you know, not just about workforce, it's also about each of those individuals uh, contributing. And that goes to valuing, you know, valuing what all of those students bring uh, and what they then contribute um, throughout, their, throughout their lives. You mentioned in your introduction uh, this idea of vocational, the vocational pathway being seen as, a, as lesser in, for some and the, the sort of perhaps undesired pathway and, and, and how out of step that is with, with the types of skills and abilities that we need in our economy. Is part of that story the way the community 
sort of view education and view different educational pathways. And and uh, I suppose looking forward, perhaps in a forward-looking way, looking at your reforms, trying to break down that dichotomy in those ways of thinking, how much is the community a part of that and, and how much are you thinking about sort of messaging and engaging with the community to break down that problematic way of thinking about education? Yeah, so look, that was a big part of uh, John Firth's uh, review. Uh, he really looked at those unfavourable perceptions around VCAL um, and the applied learning pathway uh, at large and was really clear that we needed to, you know, sort of A, have a really high quality product. No point trying to dress something up that's not high quality. So that was you know, the sort of first thing is you've got to have something that people see as high quality. People have got to be able to access those sort of things. But we've also then got to also try and give that language to the broader community, you know. And so uh, one of the things John Firth uh, in his recommendations talked about was that we would need, uh, you know, a wide-ranging uh, media strategy. And so alongside these changes to the actual certificate, the nuts and bolts, uh, there's a, a media campaign going on right now uh, called One, One VCE Many Talents, you know, which really tries to say uh, we need all of these things. These are all um, equally valid uh, and really uh, important uh, roads. I think, Tom, and this is probably going back to more, you know, my schooling and, and those times, I think we always heard that a way to, you know, earn higher incomes and have better lives was through university pathway. And I think the parents of today are the people that heard that, that uh, grew up with that. That's, of course, not actually the case now. You know, there's um, a whole heap of people that are um, whose incomes are a lot higher, you know, through applied learning pathways than uh, necessarily that traditional road through university. So there's there is a perception that needs to change there. I think the more that we um, celebrate the success uh, of those people who, you know, have gone into some of these other industries and who, you know, may have a, you know, a great income but also a really fulfilling uh, life, you know, work life. You know, I always think of people that are doing fly-in, fly-out, you know, on the mines, you know. Uh, when that sort of started happening and you looked up how you, how much you got paid to drive one of those big rigs around the Kalgoorlie mines, I think it blew most of our minds, you know, and these weren't people that were necessarily university trained. You know, we've got tunnel builders, we've got all kinds of sort of jobs happening right now. Give people that job satisfaction because it's probably what they're more interested in, uh, but is also rewarded in terms of the income you know, some of those people might aspire to. So I think it's, um, I think those things are changing. And the more we celebrate the success and break down those barriers that reinforce, you know, what is not the reality, it is not the reality anymore, that that is the only pathway. There are huge numbers of pathways that students will find, even those that might start at university can end up doing something different. Those that start in an applied learning pathway, sort of in inverted commas, may end up um, at university, you know, one of my good mates started as a boilermaker uh, and now he's an engineer. There's a whole heap of different ways to contribute to the economy, but also to find that sort of satisfaction in yourself of something that you like doing. There's an alignment to that story, isn't there? You, you mentioned a sort of you started with a, an ad campaign and some of the communications that you're doing, but um, sort of implicit in what you're saying too is the importance of of an alignment between those messaging, what we're also saying and seeing and celebrating in in people's successes across the course of their lives, but then also what what we're setting up and what we're actually delivering. You mentioned a, a quality product, and it sounds like from what you're, the, an alignment between those those things is really important to achieving some sort of change in people's perception, rather than 
sort of selling something that doesn't stack up in terms of what you're actually delivering. Yeah, I agree. look, we get, we get one chance at it, right, as well. I sort of look at it is um, the promise has to be matched by what we deliver. Otherwise, very quickly people revert to what they've always known. I think rightly so, there's some good pressure on us for the for the the delivery of these reforms. I quite often talk to uh, my team and others about that this reform is a jigsaw. It's not just the one thing. It's, you know, there were 38 recommendations uh, in the first uh, review, uh, all of which were um, approved, you know, and supported by government. And if one of them's missing, it is like missing a piece in the puzzle. The, the, you know, the picture's not there. You know, it's not complete. And they are as far ranging as you said about ad campaigns and, you know, changes of certificates, but also the provision of vocational um, and applied learning. You know, so how do we make sure that students have access to those things? If we're saying they're that good, then they've got to be able to access it. So each of those um, recommendations in itself is a reform. When they're packaged together, they're a, you know, a transformation, a significant change. But it can't be done with just one piece sort of at a time. You're kind of trying to push them all at the same point and make sure they're all sort of humming along together because, you know, one falling down can really collapse that whole transformational approach that we're trying to, trying to undertake. You know, one of those pieces fails. It can mean the end to the big reform, you know, to the whole thing. So... You know, and that's where this coordination and how do you make sure all of those things are on track. Well, so let's let's turn to those reforms themselves, the delivery of your um, significant large jigsaw puzzle. Um, why don't you tell us a bit about how you and your partners across the education system, how you're organising yourselves to deliver something as big and complex as that? How, do, how have you set yourselves up and, and how's it going? Yeah, so look, I, th- I think it's going really well, to be honest, and that's, um, that is thanks to some of the setup. I, I think it started with, with John's... Uh, report so John Firth's review and John was formerly the uh, chief executive officer of the VCAA so my role that I'm in now and you know and he was in that for a long period of time so he had a good sense of um, of the pieces uh, and where some of those issues were uh, but John really listened and he not only gave us a review he gave us a bit more of a roadmap you know these are the things that need to come together to deliver the reform but in doing so, that was the challenge, that it wasn't just one area that could be solely responsible for driving this through. It had to be a combination of all of these, you know, those 38 recommendations and all of those pieces. So, you know, I've been fortunate enough to be in, in, in this role now for a couple of years. I was formerly a deputy secretary in the Department of Education and, you know, worked really closely with our secretary in, in her role, obviously. And, and she and I, you know, really were, you know, talking about um, how to best uh, set up for this reform so that the governance and the way in which we oversaw it meant that we could pull all of those things together. You know, so, yeah, very early on, uh, the secretary set up a, a joint project board uh, where she and I chair. So the VCAA is the as the authority with the, the curriculum, the assessment for senior secondary, um, but the Department of Education with, you know, a lot of those levers around the provision of vocational applied learning, the funding of schools, all of the other pieces that need to come together to make the thing uh, fit together. So, Having a having a jointly chaired board like that is a was something that's quite different. So you know I'm, I haven't sort of known of that to occur where you know a secretary and a and an authority uh, CEO have have jointly chaired something like this. And Jenny and I uh, do that together. So that was sort of at a governance point, and you know that includes those deputy secretaries across and 
those sort of roles that, you know, really need to help us drive this whole thing. Uh, the other thing that uh, was put in place, though, uh, the, the creation of a task force within the Department of Education and as well as combining those things at the governance, operationally they were combined as well. So pulling together some of the disparate parts that um, needed to be working together um, to transform this. And so we have an assistant deputy secretary who heads up that task force. They've brought together some of the pieces that we've been working on for many years. So all of the, the careers uh, work is within that uh, area, for instance, that you know really is a big part of this change of culture, you know, of, how do we look at um, uh, these different pathways as being uh, valued and um, supported? And so a task force within the department with pulling those things together, overseeing all of the bits, the 38 recommendations, all of the sub parts of that, uh, and working with the board has seen us, uh, I think so far, you know, try and hold that picture together. You know, I think one of the big risks is when you have something that's has so many work streams, you know, and you have to break it down to get your head around it. The risk is that you might deliver each of the pieces, but you've lost the whole, you've lost what you're trying to actually achieve. So I think that's the layer of, of governance that, you know, keeps us accountable to that bigger picture here. You know, yes, these pieces are going along okay, but is this going to make this better? You know, the reform has to be about improvement. Um, otherwise, it's not reform, it's probably more a disaster, I think. You know, you, you want to make sure that this is successful. More students are completing school. More students are successful in their transitions to their future pathways. And that is, I mean, that's common across all these sort of large reforms of which there are many at the moment, that, that risk of losing sight of the story, the picture, the goal that you have in mind um, in an effort to deliver 38 really big things, each and, each and of themselves. I wonder if you could speak to a next level of complexity as well. I mean, what you've just described is, is complex enough, but I know in preparing for this conversation, you and I, we talked about the jigsaw analogy and how many pieces there are, but then where that falls down is that a jigsaw is a stationary and there's nothing else going on, whereas you're working with a Victorian school system, which is always changing, uh, is coming out of perhaps the biggest disruption in, in living memory through COVID-19. And, and then, of course, is, is adapting in other ways. And I've used the example of creating a new cog for a machine that's too still working. Do you, do you want to just describe a little bit what you meant by that analogy, which I think is really helpful as well? And then and then let's talk about sort of how you deliver such a profound change to something that that's actually still needs to keep running day to day while, while you're doing that change. Yeah, look, it's something that's um, been on my mind for many years. You know, it's... Um, as a school principal, kids keep turning up, you know, the bell rings, students are there uh, and they're ready, you know, and you don't get a term where students aren't turning up and you get a chance to, you know, do your strategic planning and your thinking and, uh, you know, rebuild the machine, as you say. The machine's got to keep working, you know, and keep uh, doing the best that it can. So it's, in my mind, it's always juggling two things. It's making sure that the that machine that's in place is really working well. It's well-oiled, you know, it's taken care of. And, and, you know, so those incremental improvements you can make while the machine's running are always made. But there does come a time when uh, you need to really take some of that, you know, that cog out, you know. So for this, it's the senior secondary, you know, and and build a new one, you know, really start from, well, what are we, what are we trying to achieve here and how do we do that while this machine over here is still is still running and operating? That's really that's really tough, you know, because the expertise is the people that run the machine. So you can't ask them to do you know ten different jobs. In fact, we often do, but that becomes really challenging. So you do need to sort of say, well, let's let's build it over here 
uh, let's build it with the people who understand it um, so that when we put it back into the machine, the thing still runs, you know, the teeth align, the whole thing still moves and functions really well. Part of that is to do with just the thinking of it, you know, is accepting that that's reality. The reality is the machine has to still go, right? So that, that's just a given. And then really addressing that through, you know, a response that is fit for purpose, that you're, you know, building it outside knowing it's got to go back in. And that's, I think, what we've been doing, you know, the last uh, couple of years. And, of course, the machine has changed or had to adjust because we transitioned a million kids within a couple of weeks from home-based learning to to hybrid learning or, or more online, you know, and, um, you know, shout out to the teachers and the principals and the support staff that, that achieved that. I mean, that was, um, if someone had said, you know, in a year's time, you're going to transition a million kids to be online full time. I think people would have had heart attacks all over the place and it would have been incredibly difficult. And yet it just happened. So it can happen. It can be done. And, you know, this is another sort of one where we need to reform. We're doing that in the context of what we hope is the tail end of a pandemic. And part of that story, too, is how you've sort of who you've staffed that task force with. I take it you've, you've brought in folk that are very closely familiar with the machine to do that design work. Is that, is that part of that story too? Yeah, that, you're right. So the task force has part of those cogs right, already in there and that they've been brought together uh, to make sure that they are working well together, that, that, you know, that the cogs are aligned and all those sort of things. So there's the task force piece of this within the authority. So in the VCAA, uh, we've also set up a, um, our own um, reform division essentially. Yeah, we're really fortunate we brought together in that a very experienced secondary school principal who was also then the head of this of our secondary principals association. So, you know, a lot of the government sort of understanding as well and systems understanding. Uh, and really fortunate to have Dr. Kelly Jarvis, who uh, one of the key people that worked on the review itself. So we've got this kind of bringing together of um, existing knowledge and understanding to really pull together, well, what? how can this work? You know, how can we make this work um, and deliver a better um, a better system? With a lot of money, by the way, Tom, we haven't, you know, I haven't sort of mentioned that, but, you know, this this isn't, it's not a cheap thing to do. It's um, maybe that's why it is only every 30 years, but it, you know, it needs the support uh, of the government, which it's, you know, had and it's had through the government response to the review, but also through um, subsequent budgets. A big reform program uh, always brings a lot of disruption for people. And I, I don't know, for people in the education system, uh, you know, it's, a, it's well known for being passionate about their vocation. They already, no doubt, working on things that were important and, and pressing challenges that they were already dealing with and now coming into this big reform process. What's that like been like for your for your people? And, and how do you keep people sort of motivated, engaged, both those within the crux of this reform program, but also those who are still working on other really important things that that maybe aren't in the in the limelight right now. How are you how are you balancing that tension and what, what's that experience like for your teams? Yeah, I think what and you mentioned it, right? You you're always dealing with people who are passionate when you're in education. People are really passionate. They want to make a difference. They want to know that their work is contributing to, you know, good outcomes for students. It's generally why people have gone into um, education in the first place. So I, I think you can always go back to that as your base. So if you, you know, if you're having disagreements about how, if you come back to, but we're all here uh, with the same value in this, that we want to make things better. We want to, you know, improve the way in which we support, you know, children and young people um, in, in Victoria and their communities, then you have a good place to start. So I always sort of see that as the base. 
It doesn't mean that it's without its challenges, though, once you get into the how. Yeah, one of the things about an authority is generally people are looking for stability, you know, with authorities. You know, keep things stable, keep them high quality, lower the risk. People know what we do and we do it really well. And uh, that's just the expectation of it. So when you say, I now want you to take a risk, you know, and I want you to think about how we could do this differently, it does go against everything that authorities are generally set up to do. You know, if an authority is, is set up to, to make incremental adjustments and improve all the time, which I think uh, the VCAA has done for many, many years, that's one thing. But to say, actually, we're really going to change this now, we're going to, you know, we're going to kind of combine these two certificates, it can make... Uh, People's head explode, Tom, to be quite frank, you know. And, and so, you know, again, talking through that, making sure that um, we listen to some of those concerns, but that we're also not stopping reform because it's different. You know, we're, we're adjusting because it might uh, be better served if we listen, but we're not just going to throw it out because it's challenging some of our preconceptions and, you know, the things that we kind of hold dear. I mean, preparing for this conversation, you also talked a bit about the challenge of bringing different people into uh, perhaps uh, someone else's reform program, if you like, something that's come from someone else and, and yeah. others are delivering. Tell us about that experience and, and how you how you get people to come on board with something perhaps new, something they didn't potentially choose, um, but to be able to see their own success and, and opportunity within within someone else's agenda to, to use that language yeah i would i would say that that's unfinished business to start with tom because i think it's that age-old saying you know the proof is in the pudding sort of stuff you know not until it's out there and it's working do people then really who are potentially really you know not on board with it reflect i think and say actually yeah you know maybe this is going okay and, and some people may never get to that point but again i think going back to what we're trying to achieve through the reform can help that journey for people of this is what we're doing we're, we are reforming and, and there's really strong reasons for that we've had someone you know through the review process who went out and spoke to literally hundreds you know thousands of people to sort of get a sense of what where the good things were that's really important too you know so this isn't just about you know completely creating something new it's actually based on where people were doing really good work a lot of it is about systematizing that making sure it doesn't rely on you know, the one teacher or the one school uh, that was doing it really well, but ensuring that all students have access to that level of quality. You know, I think that's central to the leadership challenge is being able to bring people along with, with those reforms and those directions. It's accepting that not everyone uh, will stay on the bus if you sort of use that. You know, some people see where it's going and say, you know, this isn't for me. And I think being able to support those people in those decisions is really important, you know, and, and support them into roles that may better align with where they think things should be and where their passions are. I think, you know, people who are genuinely interested in making things better, if they're convinced by um, the argument, you know, of, of what's being put forward, then they're generally pretty quick to jump on, you know, and say, right, you know, let's use this as an opportunity to do some of the things maybe I've been thinking about for years, you know, that I've seen as areas of, of improvement that we haven't had um, time or resources or whatever it might be. Getting those people on board means that you're building something that's going to be even better. You know, you might have a roadmap, and I think we had that, but it wasn't a complete recipe. You know, it didn't have every piece that we needed to bring together. Um, some of that is as you're building is improving and addressing some of the 
things you may not have thought of, you know, unintended consequences is always in my mind, you know. We're doing it because we're trying to fix this thing. It's got to not stuff that thing up. (laughs) Technical terms there, Tom. We're just about out of time, but I want to finish with a comment you made earlier about once-in-a-generation reforms. We live in a time of once-in-a-generation reforms, don't we, with um, Royal Commissions and large-scale reforms, both at the state and Commonwealth level, right around right around the country. And they're obviously tackling long-standing problems, so often they're, they're, they're very welcome. But you made a, a great point about not wanting to hang up our boots after this and think, oh, that's the job mm. done for the next 30 years. How do you think about creating a more a more agile, a more adaptive system um, while you're delivering a, a once-in-a-generation change, a large-scale change? And what, what do you think we can be thinking about, those of us that are working on these really profound reforms? What what can we be thinking about to to create systems that, that don't need these very irregular, enormous changes but, but learn as we go? I think the first part is just to recognise it, right? I think we have to recognise that that mentality of, you know, we're going to set something up and it's going to then last for years, decades at times um, before we do it. A big change. I think. I think that just approach is dead. You know. I, I think we have to think about how we build that into the systems that we're creating. So, uh, for the senior secondary reform, for example, we have to build a system that can evolve as um, things change. So, you know, who would have known that you know a number of years ago we would have needed so many tunnel builders or level crossing removal experts, you know, that sort of thing. Um, so we have to be able to be to adjust the system to respond to the context more quickly. In this reform, you know, I think we have to be able to uh, have curriculum and pathways that can be built within the system rather than changing the whole system again. You know, so as an example, I, I, I think things like packaging up, you know, we've heard all this discussion about micro-credentialing and the packaging up of um, skills. I do think that, you know, if we're able to sort of work with, you know, large companies or um, large other departments and those things that say, you know, we're going to need a whole heap of people who are going to be good at this, then there's no reason why we can't package up some of the pieces of the curriculum in senior secondary uh, and create majors in the same way we might do it at university, right? So, you know, we're going to need a whole heap more engineers. Well, why don't we work with people who um, run engineering, higher education and training uh, sector engineering and work out what's the best pathway through senior secondary? So you need to do maths and other things uh, as part of that so that we're being responsive without saying, oh, we've got to redesign the whole certificate. I, I think that kind of reform is is not responsive to our context. It is, you know, it's not going to slow down. I don't know about you, but I've seen nothing telling me that uh, the change being brought about by, you know, technologies and, um, and other drivers, nothing I've seen is saying to me, you know, don't worry, soon it'll slow down and it'll be like it was, you know, 30 years ago. It's just going to continue to be exponentially um, changing. And so I think it's incumbent upon us, particularly as leaders of large systems, to future-proof for that, you know, to accept that that's the case uh, and to build things that can be adjusted more readily um, and more made more context-specific. Our guest today has been Stephen Neal from the Victorian Curriculum and Assessment Authority. Stephen, thanks so much for being a part of this conversation. Pleasure, Tom. Anytime. It's great to chat. Thanks. Thank you for listening to From All Sides. If you'd like to know more, please visit our website, cubegroup.com.au. Here you can find show notes, additional links, and also download a transcript of this conversation. While you're there, you can also read about Cube and case studies and thought leadership of our work as a purpose-driven consultancy. I invite you to subscribe to From All Sides on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
and thanks again for listening.